This is The Guardian. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. This year, the world continued to battle COVID-19. But in November, all eyes and ears turned to another event. I think that Glasgow uh, COP26 is a turning point for the world. We must seize this opportunity. There is no planet B. There is no planet blah. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. It was a critical moment in our other fight to minimise and mitigate the impacts of the climate crisis and keep global heating below 1.5 degrees. 1.5 is what we need to survive. Two degrees, yes, SG, is a death sentence. We do not want that dreaded death sentence. And we've come here today to say, try harder. But whilst we all sat up and took notice for COP26, throughout the year there were some devastating, fascinating and hopeful stories about our planet. It is unequivocal that human activities are responsible for climate change. New research shows the Amazon basin is in trouble and scientists fear it's at a tipping point where great swathes could be lost in a self-perpetuating cycle of decline. Farmland near the Sandringham estate in Norfolk, which is slowly being reclaimed by nature. So today, we're going to look back at our top environment stories of 2021. From The Guardian, I'm Madeleine Finlay, and this is Science Weekly. To take a look back at some of the environment stories of the past 12 months, I got Guardian Environment Editor Damien Carrington and Biodiversity Reporter Phoebe Weston on the line. Damien, Phoebe, thank you so much for joining me. And Damien, as the Guardian's environment editor, I wanted to start with a subject that you've covered a lot in the last year, which is pollution. 
and there's so much to get into here. First, let's go back to one of your earliest stories on this, which will be coming back on the agenda over the next few months, domestic wood burning, something that's now been proved to be pretty bad, right? Yes, it is. I'm afraid we're not starting with a story full of festive cheer. There's no chestnuts roasting on an open (laughs) fire here. But yeah, no, so at the start of the year, we um, found out from government data, actually, that um, wood burners were producing about 40% of the small particulate air pollution in urban areas. And that's the really dangerous type. So unfortunately, certainly in uh, built up areas, they're actually a pretty bad menace. And the thing is, it's only about 8% of the people use them and and virtually all of them have other sources of heating. So certainly in air pollution circles, people are pretty anxious about wood burners. And why are these tiny particles of pollution so bad for us? For two reasons. So first of all, they can penetrate in through the lungs and, and get into the bloodstream and then get carried all around the body. And they can also cause inflammation. Actually, a review I covered a couple of years ago indicated that air pollution probably affects every organ in the body. So Damien, if wood burners are pumping out all of this pollution that's really bad for our health, and only 8% of people are actually using them and causing all this air pollution, what do you think should be done? I'm afraid the simple answer is we should stop using them. And of course, that's not a very politically palatable message. But They've tried to introduce an eco-design for wood stoves, which will be the only legal version in the UK and Europe from next year. But uh, they produce 750 times more pollution than a heavy goods vehicle. So they're absolutely hopeless. And Damien, as you've said there and written about extensively, air pollution generally has a massive impact on our health. And a report this year found that it's cutting the lives short of billions of people by up to six years, making it a far greater killer than smoking, car crashes or even HIV and AIDS. But another form of pollution where there's still quite a lot of research ongoing into its health effects is microplastics. And of course, we all ingest microplastics. But something that struck me recently was a story about the fact that bugs are evolving to eat plastics. So what's this all about? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a brilliant and a terrible story all at once. So um, microplastics are everywhere from the top of Everest to the bottom of oceanic trenches. We've polluted the entire planet and we don't really know what it does to people, although just a recent study showed that it can cause increased cell death in the laboratory. But the story about the microbes was really fascinating because we actually knew from 2016, I think, uh, one or two bugs had been found that had evolved to eat plastic, to degrade plastic by developing enzymes that break it down. But that was from people looking in likely locations like rubbish dumps full of plastic. But what this latest study did was actually take data which had been collected elsewhere, so take samples of soil and ocean waters, and then just sequence every bit of DNA that you can find to look for enzymes that looked like the ones that we already know break down plastic and they actually found 30,000 enzymes so I think one in four bugs they reckoned in the oceans and the soil had developed some kind of enzyme to start breaking down plastic. It's really fascinating I mean it shows that nature always comes up with a solution first but as you said it demonstrates quite the size of the impact that we're having on our planet. And Phoebe, as a biodiversity reporter for The Guardian, I'm going to bring you in here. 
As well as some evolution, we have unfortunately seen a lot of declines as well of our biodiversity this year. And two stories that stood out to me were the massive declines of our butterflies and birds. And a review found that one in every six birds, which is a net loss of 600 million breeding birds in total across Europe, have disappeared over less than four decades. And this includes common species like yellow wagtails, starlings and skylarks. I mean... It doesn't look like a happy picture. What was 2021 like for biodiversity around the world? The overall picture is not looking good. And I think we know that we've had catastrophic loss of biodiversity for decades now. And we're reading similar stories that we had in the year before and the year previous to that. And the research keeps saying the same thing. And that example that you pulled out was a really shocking study about birds and particularly species that have been really common and we're used to seeing, we're not really seeing as much anymore. But birds is just one fragment of this huge, complicated picture of life on Earth. And I think if you think about each of these studies is looking at species as kind of threads in a giant web, and we're essentially cutting each of these threads. And there's a point at which the web starts to fall apart. And that's happening. And we're seeing that with ecosystems across the world. And This loss of biodiversity that you've described can ripple outwards, which is why there are now lots of projects trying to rewild places and basically bring back local flora and fauna. And one of the stories that I really enjoyed on this, Phoebe, was about a man and some hedgerows. What was all this about? Yeah, um, so it's this guy called Rob Walton who um, was on a car journey about 10 years ago with a friend And his friend made a bet to him to see if he could count every species living in his hedge outside his house in Devon. And he found 2,000 species in 85 metres of hedge. And lots of these are insect species, but hedgerows in the UK are a fantastic source of life. And um, the UK's Committee on Climate Change has suggested that the hedgerow network should be extended by 40% as part of the UK's 2050 net zero target. Right, so these hedgerows are not only good for biodiversity, but could obviously be a big help in drawing down carbon dioxide from the atmosphere as well. And hedgerows are at one end of the scale. At the other is a rewilding project that you covered, Damien, that I'm so excited about, which is a plan to bring back bison to the fields of Kent. Tell me what that is about. Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. Um, So there haven't been wild bison roaming Britain for many thousands of years, but there's a £1 million project to uh, start them back into the environment uh, in Kent, near Canterbury. They're going to start with uh, four bison in spring next year. So, I mean, it's exciting in its own right because European bison are the biggest land animal in Europe. They were extinct in the wild a century ago. Only a few zoo specimens meant that it survived. But also they're amazing ecosystem engineers and they shape and create nice uh, ecosystems and habitats around them. And they are enormous and uh, a bull can weigh a ton. So that does sound a bit scary, but I'm assured by the rangers that they're gentle giants. Just two days after the IPPC called climate change a code red for humanity, Europe has recorded as, if confirmed, its highest ever temperature. 
48.8 degrees Celsius has been recorded in Sicily. They watch as if in fear things could get worse in Germany. And the rising waters where the Rhine and Mosul rivers meet in Koblenz offer no reassurance. Dozens have lost their lives to flooding in this region, and there's little confidence the struggle for residents is over yet. Friends, I'm very aware of the responsibility placed upon me in this role, and I do not underestimate the challenge. But let me start first by formally welcoming you to Glasgow. Phoebe, Damien, we'd be remiss not to talk about the biggest environment story of the year, which was COP26, the UN Conference on Climate Change in Glasgow. I was there, you were both there, and it was a really huge moment for focusing minds on the climate crisis. And Damien, there were so many big stories around this, but I'd like to talk to you about some of the things that we saw in the run-up to COP26, which really showed us the imminent and huge impact the climate crisis is having. One of which, of course, was the stark warning we got from the IPCC climate report in August. What did they find? Yeah, it was uh, pretty startling and, and stark. So the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change have been producing reports for about 30 years. It's a collaboration of all the world's scientists. But their latest report came out in August. And um, the first three words were, it is unequivocal. And so that what they meant, it's unequivocal that humans were causing climate change. It was unequivocal that it was the climate crisis is affecting every single part of uh, the planet. And they were also uh, very sure that uh, if it continues, then we'll get really catastrophic impacts uh, all around the world. There may have been stark warnings about catastrophic scenarios in the future, but Phoebe, some of these are already starting to play out already, aren't they? Yeah, I think people are aware that the climate crisis is getting closer to home. Damien refers to it as a slow motion catastrophe. Perhaps in the past, it seemed like something that's going to happen in the future, but now it's very much here. And um, in the months before COP, we got 48.8 degrees Celsius recorded in Italy. And we've had temperature records smashed in Canada, US, Finland, Estonia, in Turkey. Meanwhile, floods have swept through Germany, China. There's been wildfires across the world. This was the first COP I've been to, and it was striking speaking to people who are really on the front line of climate change, particularly island nations, which are obviously directly threatened by rising sea levels. Um, So it really highlighted the urgency of the situation for me. So it's clear that the climate crisis is here already, And we are aiming, of course, for that 1.5 degrees limit on warming. But this year, there were a couple of stories that suggested we may already be reaching some kind of tipping point in a lot of cases. And one of these was the stability and the loss of that stability over the last century of the Gulf Stream, which is an important part of our global current system and would have major impacts on our weather systems around the world. But the other was about the Amazon rainforest and it's sliding from a carbon sink into a carbon source. Damien, explain to me, what does that mean? What it means is, uh, in brief, is that we're in big trouble. These amazing scientists actually had spent uh, years flying 
small plains over the Amazon, which is the size of Western Europe. It's absolutely enormous collecting atmospheric samples. And what they discovered this year is that uh, the Amazon, which like other rainforests was our friend, the enormous help in sucking CO2 out of the air, was actually now emitting a billion tonnes a year more than it was absorbing. And a billion tonnes is the annual emissions of Japan, which is the fifth biggest emitter in the world. So it's a lot of carbon. And so that was obviously you know, really worrying. And they found this really scary negative feedback, whereby the more fires they had, which was a big part of the problem, and the more heating there was, the more drought there was, the more high temperatures there were, then the more the trees tended to die. So although we don't know if we're at that point yet, it doesn't bode well for the idea that um, the Amazon could tip over and into being a savanna rather than a, a rainforest and therefore capturing much less carbon. I mean, it is really terrifying, Damien. But of course, one of the things that I'm personally hoping to see next year is some of the promises and announcements from COP26 starting to kick into action and actually steer us away from more of these tipping points. And Phoebe, just to round us off with some positivity on the biodiversity side, what are you looking forward to in 2022? Yes, um, for people who are interested in biodiversity, we've got the the biodiversity COP. So this is COP15, which uh, by my counting has now been delayed four times. And the idea is to get all countries together um, in the world to come up with agreements, with targets. We're going to set the next 10 years of targets to halt the loss of biodiversity around the world. And I'm excited about it because I think that biodiversity is increasingly getting the recognition it deserves. Science tells us that the biodiversity crisis is as serious as the climate crisis. So I'm hoping that we're going to come up with some really great, ambitious targets at COP15. Well, we'll be keeping our fingers crossed that COVID doesn't cancel it again. Phoebe, Damien, thank you so much. It's been great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you very much for having us. Thank you. Now, you've heard from Phoebe and Damien how much of an impact the climate crisis is already having, from flooding to droughts. Which is why this year, the Guardian and Observer's annual charity appeal is aiming to raise money for charities focused on grassroots initiatives that are reaching those directly affected by the climate crisis. By donating, you can help people who have had their lives, homes and whole communities devastated by the effects of our changing world. Donate today at theguardian.com forward slash charity 2021. Thank you. Science Weekly will be back on Thursday. Stay safe and see you then. This is The Guardian. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. 
Every week, he has a candid conversation with guests, including prime ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts.